0: So I'm gonna try out something a little different today. I'm gonna read an article from our friends over at Gaping Void. It's titled, The Illusion of Control. In the lead up to the D-Day invasion, Allied forces would fly surveillance planes over the mainland of France to scope out the territory. They saw miles and miles of fields separated by small hedges. Not unlike the terrain back in England where the US Army had been training. Easy, right? Wrong because French hedges are not the same as English hedges. A soldier could jump over an English hedge, but a French hedgerow was an average of five meters tall, made up of thick vegetation, planted over earthen mounds. Essentially, an impenetrable wall, perfect for defenders, terrible for attackers. But in the pictures taken from the planes, they look like normal hedges. A reminder that the map is not the territory. There are some things you need to see with your own eyes to understand. But that's not the story. What's more interesting is what enabled the U.S. Army to succeed despite such a major unexpected obstacle, its culture. As Michael Doubler writes in his prize-winning book, Closing with the Enemy, in its search for solutions to the difficulties of hedgerow combat, the American Army encouraged the free flow of ideas and the entrepreneurial spirit coming from a wide variety of sources, ideas generally flowed upward from the men actually engaged in the battle." End quote. The army empowered the soldiers on the ground to take calculated risks, to try new things. This was especially true in communication where units were encouraged to spread new information. They learned as quickly as possible via word of mouth. They also published little booklets of new tactics and distributed them freely. After all, there was no rule book for head row fighting. Army leadership allowed them to be water. Guided by their own initiative and the scrappy ideas coming from all levels, they innovated ways to get past the unforeseen obstacles. The lessons here, don't take your mental models for granted. That's how you get off, caught off guard. And secondly, rigid command and control authoritarianism is a weakness. Fluidity is strength. The best leaders know this, and they deliberate, deliberately build a culture that fosters it. So that article from Gaping Void, which we'll put a link in the details of this episode. It just fits perfectly with today's episode, which is about Jennifer Garvey Berger's leadership mind trap of control. This is the fourth of our five mind traps, which we've been unpacking the last couple of months. And as the article was titled, Control is Just an Illusion, we have way less control as leader, and our brain tricks us into thinking we do. Nate and I are going to unpack how this mind trap shows up in coaching and what we can do about it. Welcome to the Coaching Culture Podcast. I'm your host, J.P. Nervin, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host, Nate Sanderson. The mission of this podcast is to help you become a better leader and build a better culture. In addition to this podcast, I'm the founder of TOC, which provides one-on-one coaching and consulting for leaders. Learn more about us at tocculture.com. This episode is brought to you by the TOC newsletter. Every Thursday, our newsletter includes two things you don't wanna miss out on. First, the notes to that week's podcast episode. Secondly, each newsletter contains a short article from myself or Nate on leadership and culture. You can subscribe to the newsletter at tocculture.com or by clicking on the link in the details of each episode. This episode is brought to you by my latest book, The Sports Parent Solution. Sports parents have become a significant challenge. For many coaches, they represent the greatest obstacle causing sleepless nights and prompting some to consider leaving the profession altogether. In my latest book, The Sports Parent Solution... I share a proven framework for transforming the parent culture within your program. Visit tocculture.com to learn more about the book or order your copy today on Amazon. So Nate, of all the mind traps that Berger presents and that we're gonna discuss in this series, that today's is probably the one I'm most guilty of falling into the most. Uh, it's Trapped by Control, as what she titles the chapter. And I'm a bit of a control freak, and you know that, that because you work with me, right? So you get to see see how how much I can get uh, so caught up in all the little details and trying to control every, everything in my life. And it's something I've got to work on, but this is a subtitle that really resonated with me in, in her book. And she says that the subtitle of the chapter is trying to take charge strips you of influence, trying to take charge strips you of influence. And I really resonate with that as a coach, because the reality is, especially, you know, when we look at modern coaching today in 2023 we have less control than we've ever had as a coach. And that's difficult. You know, that was difficult for me, uh, for a coach like myself. Um, And when we feel that we have this lack of control over our players' commitment, their motivation, are they playing on their sports, right? Their, Their behavior or their social life, you know, away from the court or away from the field, then the natural tendency for so many of us is to try to grasp harder, right? to that control, as, as Berger says in the subtitle there, trying to take charge though, strips us of our influence. And that's what we're really going to get into today is how we've got to let go and stop trying to grasp for more control. we got to focus on our influence because if we just continue to try to be more controlling by micromanaging our staff, micromanaging every aspect of our practice, you know, creating Endless amounts of rules to address address player behaviors on the court and off the court and in their social life uh, and whether they participate in other sports. If we're controlling around, you know, every behavior and everything they do on, within the game, and we resort to the fear-based coaching, the controlling type of tactics to, you know, really get them to do what we want them to do. The more we do that, the more, as Berger says, we're stripped of our influence. And so today's episode is really about identifying where are we constantly seeking control over things that we actually don't have control over and where are the things that we're also trying to control that are actually stripping us of our influence and kind of working through those those both together
1: i would imagine most coaches in the audience can identify with some of the feelings that you described there of just wanting to have control over as many things that we can control I mean, right now we're in the middle of our preseason. Our youth sports have started. Our middle school sports have started. We have open gyms going on that are led by our players. And we're just about two weeks away from the start of our season. And I can't turn around, JP, without looking at something and thinking I would do that differently. I wish we were doing that in a little bit different way. Like our middle school team wants to have their own T-shirts, but it doesn't have our branding on it. That bothers me. We go to Open Gym and my seniors are leading our workouts and they're doing a couple drills in ways that we wouldn't do. That bothers me. They're taking shots in the scrimmages that I know that I wouldn't want them to take if I had authority over the shots that they were shooting right now. That bothers me. I watch some of our youth coaches that are doing their best to teach kids fundamentals and use their practice times, but they're not as efficient as they could be. That bothers me, right? That feeling of just being bothered when you see things that you would like to change or grasp control of or be differently, I think is the tendency that we're really talking about here. And maybe the mistake, as Berger would allege here, is that too many times, and I've been guilty of this myself, we step in and we just grab control whether we should or shouldn't in that particular situation. And that's what can set us up for getting ourselves in a little bit of trouble for reasons that we'll talk about here in a moment.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. Is we're trying to grab control of that situation and take charge. And then it's how does that affect other people so often? I like to really constantly reflect on these three spheres the sphere of interest, the sphere of influence, and the sphere of control. And I think more often than not, we probably think there's more that we can control or try to take control of um, in, or in our domain as a leader, right? So we don't like what you're seeing and all those things you mentioned there. Okay, what can I do as the head coach of this program to make this, you know, to dictate how these things will be d- done and how these things need to be ch- uh, you know, changed. So there's that. And that obviously has an adverse effect to the culture. On the other hand, I also sometimes I think I see in coaches too, where if you go to that sphere of interest, things that matter, but we kind of throw our hands up, but we can't control something. Like if we can't say this is the way it's done and they're not going to do it, then we just throw our hands up and just blame others. We blame today's athletes. We say, well, kids today, or it's the parents problem or it's my lack of resources. And then we just jump from that sphere of, interest where it matters to us and we're frustrated by it, but we're just complaining and we ignore, and we don't really understand what that sphere of influence looks like. Like, I think that's, that's where we probably should be spending most of our focus as leaders is how do we influence, you know, the, the culture? How do we help shape that culture um, rather than always resorting to controlling type behaviors? Because as we experience with our athletes themselves, it's like, when we st- rob them of their autonomy or try to take away their autonomy with this controlling type of behavior, it, it damages the relationship and it damages their motivation.
1: Well, in some ways, JP, there's some overlap here with a mind trap that we've already talked about in our desire to be right. So I'll give you an example. If I walk into a youth practice and I see a coach is teaching a footwork series in the wrong order, and it makes it confusing for the players, and I saw this happen the other day. I could have, because I'm standing in the gym, asserted myself and say, hold on, hold on. Kids, let's try this again, but let's start with A and then we'll do B and then we'll go from there. Now, I would have been right and the kids would have gotten the instruction in a way that was easier for them to understand. But at the same time, what does that do to the youth coach that's just volunteering and doing their best to serve? And by the way, JP, there were no other applicants for the job, so we're just grateful to have somebody there I would be undermining their credibility in front of the entire team and whatever parents might be there watching the practice. And is that better? Is that worth being right or me controlling that practice at the expense of the credibility for that coach? Probably not. And what does that do for my relationship with that coach at the same time? Now, all of a sudden, are they looking over their shoulder? Are they going to get nervous every time they see me walking through the gym or in the doorway? Are they going to come to me with questions or be more likely to avoid me because they don't want to be you know, caught or told that they're doing something wrong? So there's a lot to think through there. And if I just responded to my desire to control that drill, I probably would have done more damage in the long term to that entire situation than if I would have just observed and went on my merry way.
0: Yeah, I think it's worthwhile unpacking a little bit more about why we so often do resort towards just trying to exert control over that situation and just step in because this happens so often, right? Not, I mean, oftentimes, you know, the head coaches gives the assistant coach the opportunity to run a drill and the drill doesn't go well. And it's like, well, they got to step in and fix it. That's a lot of the coach grow through that experience. Like this is really, really difficult. And, or we go to a situation where, say, you know, players aren't working hard, like, and we just want to step in, and we want to find some way to control it and fix it, because we want quick, you know, we want to be efficient, and it's like, we're wasting time, we need to be working hard now, or to the, to the coach that's doing a poor job of teaching a drill, it's like, we're wasting time, we need to get, like, we, there's the pressure, right, there's the pressure to, to get good today, to get, you know, for the game on Friday, so there's all these pressures, and I think, and so while control can sometimes be quick and efficient, I think the long-term effects are going to be very detrimental to the relationship, like you mentioned. And so what we have to focus is on and on more as leaders now is not skills to control behavior or skills to control as leaders, but skills that are more focused on influencing
1: well, I think what you're describing there, JP, and this is the most common reason when anytime I ask a coach, you know, why they're wanting to control this, this part of their program or this drill or this youth practice or whatever it might be. The most common answer is because it's my ass, right? If this team doesn't perform well, if these kids aren't ready to play in high school, if we're not winning enough games and I, I do empathize with that, right? Because as the head man, as the guy in charge of the program, ultimately we are the ones that are going to be Held accountable. And I think the fear that comes from that, what if we try this and it doesn't work? What if we give players freedom and it doesn't work? What if I empower an assistant coach and it doesn't work? Then all of a sudden their their head's not on the chopping block, JP. It's me. Right. And so because of that, there's a tendency then, that survival mechanism that says I want to control my environment because my survival is based on it. I jump in, right? Maybe when I I shouldn't.
0: And yet that way of leading doesn't help to develop new coaches. That way of leading oftentimes is very frustrating for people to coach with, right? People don't enjoy that where they don't have the opportunity to step in, to coach and to fail. And the same with our players. If that way of leading doesn't develop skills long-term for the athletes to correct their own behavior, it, it prevents intrinsic motivation from developing when we're always using extrinsic motivators the carrots and the sticks to try to control behaviors. So the long-term effects of this type of leadership doesn't align with our long-term goals for our athletes and for our program. And so it's really trying to see where we're trying to develop them. And so for us as coaches, instead of focusing on how we wield our power to control, I think we need to be focusing more on how we wield our power of influence. So what are the skills that we can develop and use and the for different tools there to influence behavior, to better influence, you know, more intrinsically motivated athletes, more committed athletes, um, to, you know, create better conditions for our assistant coaches so that they can be more effective in practice and they can learn th- quicker through that process rather than always just jumping in and trying to control that situation.
1: So maybe it's worth talking for a minute about what's the difference between controlling and influencing. And, you know, as you were talking there, the the first example that came to mind is trying to get kids to come in in the off season. And all the coaches that we work with, JP, we hear about this all the time. Everyone's frustrated because kids don't come in to open gym or shooting or weightlifting, whatever it might be, as much as they used to. And that strikes fear in my heart, because if that means that they're not as good of players, It's my ass, right? So how do I respond to that as someone with a control problem? Well, again, you might turn to the sticks and the carrots and say, if you're not here a certain number of dates or a certain number of hours or these certain tournaments, whatever it might be, then here's a consequence. We're using the consequence to control behavior, or we're using a reward to control behavior. You come in so many days, you earn a t-shirt, you're eligible for the pizza party, you get to wear the first team jersey in the first practice, you know, things like that. And all of that is designed to manipulate more than it is to influence. So what does an influencing behavior look like in this context? In order to be an effective influencer, you have to start asking different questions. Well, why would kids choose to come in if I left it up to them? Well, you may have kids that in the summertime, they want to hang out with their friends. So can you encourage them to bring their friends along? You'll have kids that say, coach, I just want to have fun playing the sport. Can you make your workouts more fun? You'll have kids that aren't sure if they're getting better or not. Is this a waste of time when I could be doing other things? So maybe I look for examples in the past of kids who have come in and I share those stories of somebody that was a bench player, put a lot of time in and became a starter and then leave that decision up to them. You and I talk about having closing the gap conversations where we ask kids, what are their goals and what is it gonna cost and what are they willing to do to chase those goals? All of that is not intended necessarily to be manipulative on my part. It's intended to empower them to be able to make decisions that get them where they want to go. But it puts all of that locus of control back into their hands rather than me creating some sort of constraint or reward or punishment based on their attendance or non-attendance
0: yeah another area that i see this come up for coaches and for me i used to be very controlling or tried to be controlling of my players behavior off the court like away from the team and so what we were doing socially and so when my players would play in my program i'd hand them a list of rules around no drinking in the season and you know all these kind of social behavior rules you got to be in bed on game day at 10 o'clock and you know you know all these things be, that I felt were really, really important for us to be successful. Now, I've, I've, I've since changed my perspective on this, right? Uh, for, for many reasons. One is that it's exhausting to try to police the behaviors of your, of, of your athletes, right? And chase them down and be on social media and looking to see, oh, what's in what, that photo? What are they doing? What are they, you know? Are they drinking here? Are they smoking something there? Like, I'm just constantly trying to police their behaviors is just impossible. And secondly, to recognize that that necessarily isn't my responsibility, that they have parents in their lives and that's their responsibility, right? What's in my sphere of control and my influence is my team and when they're at the gym, you know, and and for practices or for games. But I'm not throwing my hands up and saying, well, not going to care, just going to ignore it, bury my head in the sand. What sphere of influence looks like here is to actually have conversations with the athletes around who do they want to be as a team away from the court, right? What are the type of standards that they want to set for themselves or for each other? Allowing them to kind of have discussions around that. Sometimes I've heard of coaches doing this when they're not even present. They say, hey, we want you to sit down and we want you all to come up with the agreements for here as a team of how you guys are going to handle yourself socially as a team. And then we're going to, you know, around some of these areas here. And then there is going to be some, obviously, some team standards that are probably connected to our school or our university or our club, because we're not going to have you guys on the front page of the news doing certain behaviors, right? But there are certain things that you're allowing them to have control over. And then there's obviously certain policies and standards that are just, you know, going to be regulated by school or whatever, but allowing them to have conversations around that. Connected to their goals, right? So same with the closing the gap, you know, conversation with the off-season commitment is just like if we want to be a state championship team or we want to win a national championship, what's it going to take for us, right? Or in our social life, what sacrifices are we going to have to make, you know? And what's it going to cost us if we don't make some of those changes? So having conversations around that, as well as educating them, you know, I just think sometimes I've I've know some great coaches that actually take time to have conversations with their athletes. And around the effects of certain, whether it's sleep, alcohol, drugs, all those types of things. So just constantly having that education component of it too, where you're just pointing to the front there. And these are ways that we can work with our athletes rather than trying to be super controlling or rather just throwing our hands up, but we're working with our athletes to influence them in a healthy way, in a healthy way. And for them to actually probably develop skills that are going to serve them later in life.
1: And I think in a lot of ways, JP, our desire for control, if we're not careful, can undermine our mission as a coach. I mean, if you ask me what I want our players to walk out of our program, you know, what skills do I want them to have? I want them to be better decision makers. I want them to be able to take ownership over, um, you know, some of the character traits that they're choosing to develop. I want them to be more selfless. I want them to, you know, care about their teammates and have gratitude and all those kinds of things. But When I just control, 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 it's no different than a parent that's over-controlling. Eventually, the kid's going to turn away or or the kid's going to resent, you know, the the demands that we have associated with some of those things. Uh, And I even think of this in terms of like a playing style, you know, that we've given up almost complete control to the players in terms of what we're doing on the court in the game. You mentioned joystick coaching before, we're about the opposite with one exception is that we're going to take great shots. And how we get those shots is really in the player's control, right? And I think that in some ways that's a good analogy for what we're trying to do as coaches is we have an end in mind and we're trying to serve that end by empowering our players to make decisions that get us closer to that place. But there also has to be an understanding that if this is going to be a collaborative effort, we don't have full control over what those outcomes are going to be. Even though we certainly want to. in fact, Berger talks about in her book how the things that we seem to want the most are often the things we have the least amount of control over. And that desire for control can often get us into trouble because there's an ethic in coaching, right about staying up all night and being in the office until, you know, the crack of dawn and spending all his time watching film and coming up with the right plays and, you know, doing everything that we possibly can within our control to give us the best chance to win. but, Oftentimes those behaviors aren't healthy and those undermine our ability to be effective as well.
0: Yeah, and if you look at that scenario, right? Coach stays up all night, watches film, does everything in their control to put the team in position to win, shows up, coach is sleep deprived, the team doesn't play well, or they play well but lose. Regardless, coach does what, right? You know, they're blaming the referees, they go in the press conference and rip the players. They go in the locker room and rip the players. They rip their coaching staff. Or they just go home and they're, they're depressed and they're beating themselves up over it all, right? And yet the outcome isn't 100% within their control. And yet there's you know probably sleep deprived and all the pressure and this super desire to control, control, control sends them down this spiral in coaching and leadership that is just so unhealthy and just can perpetuates itself right and then all of a sudden the next day the next week we're just trying to latch on to more and more and more control and i've seen this i've seen all of a sudden you know coach with great intentions this season to empower the players empowers the staff all of a sudden walks in the next week and says forget this we're not running that defense and all of a sudden let's go you know that that one staff member that was in charge of the defense has lost that responsibility and certain things that he the coach she or she or he may have agreed to the with the players right those go out the wind, window and we go back to the controlling fear-based co- coaching tactics uh that we told ourselves we'd abandoned at the beginning of that season
1: well i would imagine jp that a lot of the coaches that are listening to this can identify with a lot of the things that we talked about where we grab hold of the reins and want to be in control And we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about some ways to try to combat this because, as we mentioned, it alienates others and it makes us less effective as leaders. I think one place to start for me that's really been significant of late is thinking about whatever progress we make in our program, whether it's on the court, off the court, whether it's culture, whether it's developing leaders or servants, whatever it might be, my first desire would be for that progress to be made because of the kids first, not because of me. And I think that teases a little bit of the difference between wanting to influence our seniors to be good leaders rather than making rules for what a good leader looks like. I think when it comes to building our culture and having conversations that you referred to before about what do we want it to feel like when we're together? What do we want to get out of this team? What do we want our practice environment to be like? it's all moving us in the same direction that we would go if I was making rules, but it's putting it in the hands of our players. It allows them to grow as people and it allows them to have ownership over the the whole operation. And so if I start from that place, whatever progress we make comes from the kids first, it really changes, it repositions my role to be one of a model, to be one of, as you said before, an influencer, to empower them, to help them, to equip them to be able to move us forward with the questions, conversations, and discussions that we have together as a team.
0: Yeah, I think to build off of what you just shared there, Nate, I think it's great to identify, okay, what are some ways that we I can influence here, empower the players. We also need to just be really clear on what it looks like for us when we are in control mode. What does it look like when I'm trying to control others? For me as a coach or for as a leader, it's threats. I mean, it's even the same as a parent, right? When my kids aren't doing what I want them to do, it's, hey, you don't do that. Then this is going to happen, right? Like it's coming instantly with a threat rather than pressing pause and say, okay, it might take more time. It's going to take more effort, more intentionality, but I'm going to have a conversation. And how can I help them see the potential benefit in this situation of doing it differently? Same with with our athletes and our team. So, but really we need to recognize the warning signs, right? So is it threats for us? right? Um, You know, when we get angry, we get frustrated. How do we get controlling? Everyone, it looks different for everyone, but we need to know that. And then we need to be really clear, like, I'm not going to do that anymore, right? And just be clear that this is, I'm I'm stopping that. I'm stopping the threats. I'm stopping the yelling. I'm stopping the late nights of film till 4 a.m. in the morning, just because it's a high pressure game, right? So however controlling shows up for you as a coach, you need to identify that and then start to stop that.
1: I think another question that's been good for us as a staff and even with our seniors and our captains has been me just asking on the side in a practice or even in a film session, is it time for me to step in? In other words, let's say we create a game in practice and we're playing four on four, you know, with these three rules and things are getting sideways or we're getting sloppy. At some point, my role as a coach is to be the guardrail, right? So the car doesn't go completely off the road and fall off a cliff. It doesn't mean I have to drive the car. And so really there's an artistry there of figuring out when do they need a little bit of redirection? I I think this is a skill for teachers in the classroom as well, right? Like how much space do we give kids to struggle and to talk amongst themselves and to try to find solutions on their own? And then when do we offer hints? When do we give them the next step? When do we offer a suggestion or even say, you know, listen, we're not taking another shot like that in the next three minutes, you know, and just sort of get the car pointed in the right direction again, and then let them go. And I think that there are times when I've stepped in way too soon and there's times in practice where I've let it go way too long. And so if you have that conversation with or open dialogue with your assistant coaches or with your senior leaders, just asking that, is it time to step in? Do you need a little bit, bit more time on your own or is now the time for me to, to try to redirect here? I think that's a productive way to start to finally, you know, kind of walk that edge between influencing and controlling.
0: Yeah, so another suggestion I would make here is for us as leaders is to change the way that we're viewing ourselves. In the book, Burger says that we are condition creators We are conditioned creators rather than people who make things happen. I think so often time, I believed as a coach, I saw myself as this person wielding all this power and control that I could make anything happen that I wanted to, right? I could take any program and I could turn it around in a year or two. I could have a great culture, right? If I just was good enough as a coach and we almost sometimes I don't even say it's like we set too high of a standard for ourselves or our expectation, but we have this belief that we we can control everything. And if we just worked hard enough and we're smart enough, the culture would turn around, but we're ignoring all the other influences in that environment, as well as the fact that we don't have control, we only have influence. And so it's we are conditioned creators. And so, and so we need to be asking ourselves that question that she asks in the book, which is what conditions... Can I create that enable good things to happen? What conditions can I create to enable good things to happen? And when we ask that question, it almost puts our perspective of who we are as a leader and what our responsibility and what what impact we can have on the culture. It puts it into a more realistic perspective.
1: I'm going to try something. that may not work, so it's fine if you want me to cut it out here. This may be a terrible analogy, JP, but what you're describing there, when we think about the role of the coach, oftentimes it feels like we are hired to be mechanics. In other words, there's a car that's broken. There's a car that has a flat tire, and our job is to come in and fix the car. Okay, But when you think about creating conditions for good things to happen it just might be that there's so many flat tires around this program because kids keep driving into potholes. And so maybe if we taught them, you know, to better navigate the roads, we wouldn't have as many breakdowns to have to deal with as the mechanic. Or maybe if we taught them some basic skills about how to change the tire themselves, at least to get it to the shop where we can look at it, maybe my need to fix is not as great if I could just teach them to drive a little bit better. And I think that's really how we're trying to think about leading our players differently i don't want to be the mechanic i want to be a leader of good drivers and i have to create conditions for them to be able to learn how to do that to navigate the road right rather than preparing the road for them as we've talked about many times before
0: no that absolutely does work and i think it really leads to the last suggestion i'd have for coaches which is you know ties with i think burgers kind of Big suggestion at the end, which is that we need to notice the patterns that are creating the circumstances we dislike and then experiment at the edges to change those patterns. And I think so often in culture, we want to know the three big things that we need to do to change the culture this year, to get buy in. And, you know, there's value in having some big levers that we can pull. But what I love about burgers, just this idea around experimentation is, okay, hey, we have an issue with player commitment in the offseason. We don't necessarily need some, some massive changes and some mass, you know, big changes or initiatives. It's just how can we start to experiment and try a few different things that might help players feel more connected? And you gave out a bunch there today, from bringing friends to making a little bit more fun to having one-on-ones. These are all little things that you're trying, Right. They could fail, they could work, right? But you're just trying to experiment to see, hey, here's things I can do to nurture that intrinsically motivated environment that we really desire in our program.
1: JP, as we get out of the door here, there's one other question, again, that's been helpful for me when I have that tendency to want to latch on to control is just asking, does this really matter? Does it really matter if a player goes by me in a substitution and doesn't slap my hand? Do I need to bench them for that? Is that going to torpedo our entire season? Does it really matter if we botch the sequence of a drill? Does it really matter, you know, if a coach got a couple details wrong as they're teaching something in practice? It might. And this isn't to say that nothing matters. It's just a question to help us figure out what matters the most and where we should step in to have the greatest return when we do influence a little bit of control over our environment or our conditions and i'll leave the listeners with this jp i'll tell you something that really matters and something that's under our control is how we show up every day berger talks about this in the book about being an influencer can be done with your example as much as anything else and we've talked about this in all kinds of different contexts on the podcast before but if you're looking for one magic lever to pull on, to get the greatest return for influencing the environment that you're around every day, it starts with you and how you show up and how you interact with others and the energy that you bring to your environment. If you can start there, good things are going to follow.
0: All right, that's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening in. We'll be back in a few weeks with our final mind trap episode in this series. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss it. Also be sure to leave us a review and share this podcast with other people if you find it to be valuable. Lastly, you can follow myself on Twitter at JPNurbin, N-E-R-B-U-M, or on Instagram at TOC Culture. If you want to reach out to Nate or I, our emails are also in the details of this episode.